Today's scripture can be found in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because the, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom will, will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and, Pro and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Herminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many number of priests became obedient to the faith. Thanks be to God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, that was my son. Um, I kind of threatened him and made sure he was saying everything correctly, but I think he did a good job. So uh, my name is Orlando Harris. I am the next-gen pastor here at Warden Full Gospel Assemblies and over the youth and young adults. So I'm extremely excited to be here. It's great to be, to give back to the place that accepted my family and I when we first got here uh, few, about four years ago now. So for everyone online, thank you for joining us. We love you and uh, pay attention because uh, I think this is going to be a good message. So it's great to see everybody here today. Love to see your lovely faces. And without further ado, I'm just going to get into the message. Um, I like to have a title for my messages. So the title of this one is called The People Is One. I know some people, you know, especially English majors like that, that's not correct, but just go with me right now. All right, the people is one. Let us open in prayer. Look, God of Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here and to hear your word. We just pray that your word just reaches the ears and the heart that one person may see you differently, that it turns their heart and, and they get to see themselves differently, the way that you see them, and to go out and do what you have called us to do. We pray, we thank you, we honor you, and the name and the authority of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, as you see, we are in the book of Acts, and we're here in chapter 6 of Acts, and once we start chapter 6, we notice we already have a problem, right? So we see that there is an issue between the Hebrews and the Hellenists, or in some translations, the Grecians. Now, the Grecians or the Hellenists are Jews by ancestry, but they speak and their culture is of Greek. So they have a Greek language. And according to scriptures, the, the Grecians, they complained that the Hebrews neglected or they overlooked their widows and in, in, the, in the distribution of food. And so it's kind of interesting that 
here in chapter 6, we have this problem between the Grecians and the, and, and the uh, Hebrews. When just in a few chapters back, you know, in chapter 2, we talk about the day of Pentecost, or at that time they call it the Feast of Weeks, where it's said that devout men, pious men came from everywhere, all nations, and, and they came and, and they were celebrating here. And if we look at Deuteronomy 16 and 16, it says that three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened, at the Feast of Weeks, which is the day of Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So that when they come to to when they come for these feasts, these three feasts in a year, they're supposed to come with the mindset ready to bring a sacrifice. They are not supposed to come empty-handed. And, and we continue in chapter 2, and it says that all the men all over the nations, they all came. They were offering sacrifices unto God, and then the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples and cause them to speak in various tongues, in various languages. And then, I'm paraphrasing, but some of the men that came from all different nations said, are these Galileans that's speaking our language and speaking about the good things, the good deeds of God? And what's interesting is that Peter, when he stood up, Peter quoted the prophets, the prophet Joel, Joel, and he said, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, here the word flesh in the Greek is pronounced sodix, which, which implies humanity. So Peter was saying that God has poured out his spirit upon humanity. He did not pour it out upon this group and neglected that group. He did not pour it out on this people and didn't care about this people, but he poured it out on all humanity. It was God's intention from the very beginning to bring everyone to him in Christ. So he poured his spirit out on all flesh. So Peter preaches this sermon that, that the Bible said it pricked the hearts or it cut to the hearts 3,000 souls and they all came and, and they were baptized and it said that they stayed together and fellowship with one another. These People, these men from all different nations, from all across the world, are now sitting together and they're fellowshipping with one another. And it said, both Jews and proselytes. Understand that a proselyte is, is a pagan that converted to Judaism. And so now they all have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They're now all sitting together, fellowshipping. They've all become followers of the way. So then now we get to Acts 6, right? You would think that everything is great. You would think that they start because they started the church with so much power and everyone was working together and everyone was, was praying together and everyone was, was eating and, and fellowshipping together. You would think that when you get to Acts 6 that there would not be a problem. But the Bible said that 
the Grecians, the Hellenists, were complaining against the Hebrews because they were neglecting their widows with their daily distribution. And we may wonder why. Well, you have to understand that prior to converting to Christianity, prior to becoming followers of the way, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, prior to following Jesus, the Jews already had a mindset that certain groups will be separated from one another. So when we look at the second Jewish temple, we will notice that there are four parts to the temple. On the very outer part of the Jewish temple, you can see it on the screen, the very outer part, it's, it's the Gentile, the court of the Gentiles. All right, so these are the people that were not Jews. So the court of the Gentiles is, is where they say that Jesus was most likely um, turning over the money tables. So the court of the Gentiles, and this is where the Gentiles were to come and do their thing, but they could not pass a certain point. And so then past the court of the Gentiles, this is where the Jews are now able to go. So there was already a separation between those who were not Jews and those who were Jews. So now we get into the next court, which is now called the court of women. So this is where only the women can go. They're Jews, but only the women can go here. And this is where they said that Jesus saw the woman who gave her two mites. So it was here in the court of women. Now past the court of women, you have the court of the Israelites or what they say is the court of men. So here we already see that the Jews have an understanding that, or an idea, mindset that everything needs to be separated. And past the court of men or the court of Israelites, you have the court of the priests. And this is where the altar was. So they already coming into Christianity, coming in, in and following Christ, they already had a mindset that because you are of a different culture, because you may speak a different language, that there is going to be a separation between you and I. So their mindset was still of the old mindset because it was prior to Christ. It was prior to come into Christianity. And so we can simply say that prior to Christ, this was a worldly mindset. This is a mindset that's not what God intended from the very beginning. And we can see this. Many of us went to school. Um, I'm not going to say I went to school that many years ago because I'm not that old yet. Um, but when we're in school, we, we notice that there were cliques and you know, you would have the popular kids over here or you would have the football players or the sports team, the jocks over here. And you would have the goth kids there over here in this corner and even the cheerleaders there in the background somewhere dancing and throwing pom-poms at each other. So everybody was in their little area. And it, it, it's understandable because human nature. We want to be around people that we have something in common with. And what you will notice is that those groups rarely interacted with one another. And, but 
the church isn't supposed to operate that way because what we have in common is Jesus and Jesus is greater than any language that will separate us. Jesus is greater than any culture that will separate us. Jesus is greater than any clothing that we use that can separate us. Jesus is greater than all this. So in the church, in the body of Christ, there should not be be a separation. There should not be silos. We should be one and interacting with one another in the body of Christ. That's what God's intention was from the very beginning. But unfortunately, we have allowed the mindset of the church, of the world, to infiltrate the church. We go back to Genesis chapter 11. I love the Old Testament. We go back to Genesis chapter 11. Let me point this out. We have the story of the Tower of Babel. So after the flood, God wants his, want the people, want the remnant to spread across the world. He wants them to, to multiply, and he wants them to go here and, and, and just to populate the earth. And then we get this people who decided, you know what? I don't want to do that. I don't want to go out and, 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 and go for this nation and that nation and populate the earth. I want to stay right here. And they came up with an idea saying that, you know what, let us make a city and let us make a tower that's going to reach to heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves. We're going to stay right here. And they were, they were in rebellion. They were, they were being disobedient to the word of God. And then if we go to chapter, in, in chapter um, or verse 6 of chapter 11, something happens because God sees them. God sees them and God notices what's happening. And what happened is that they, they get God's attention to where the Bible said that God actually came down to see the city and to see the tower that was being built. And when God saw this, he was like, look at them. The people is one. This is in the King James Version. The people is one. Think about it. The people, plural, is one, singular. He's saying because now they have one language and they have one mind and they're operating in one focus. They're, they're acting like they're just one entity. The group of people are now acting as one mind with one focus and one desire. And they're, gonna, they're able to accomplish what they set out to do because if we read the second Part, the second part of the same verse, it said that God said that nothing will be restrained from them which they had imagined to do. Because they have one mind, one focus, nothing will be restrained from them that they imagined to do. But the problem was they were in direct rebellion to God, so God had to disperse them. And then now we come back to Acts 2. 
We come back to Acts 2 where now God is bringing everyone back. But he's bringing everyone back with the, with the right mindset, in the right direction. He's bringing everyone back as the church and the body of Christ being filled with the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to direct them, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach them, allowing the Holy Spirit to show them the direction that they need to go. And this was what God's intention from the very beginning. But... How do we get there? How do we go from living a life separate from God and the moment that we get into the body of Christ? How how do we quickly change our mindset? And it comes down to surrender. It comes down to surrender. Because we have to surrender to the will of God. Jesus said before he went to the cross, he said, Lord, he said, Father, if you would take this cup away from me, but not my will, not my desire, not what I want to do, but what you want, your will. He's saying that I am surrendering my will to what you want me to do. And that's what we have to do. Once we come into the body of Christ, we have to surrender our desires. We have to surrender our will to God and allow God to direct us because we have to understand that everything that God says, everything that God wants for us is better than anything that we can ever want for ourselves. So if we just surrender to God, because God is the God that knows the, our end from our beginning. He knows what's going to happen in the next five minutes. So we may be trying to hold on to something that he wants to get us to let go. And he knows that in the next few minutes, if we continue to hold on to that situation, we continue to hold on to that person, we continue to hold on to that hurt, we continue to hold on to that shame, it's going to do something. It's going to destroy us and it's going to take us from the purpose that God has for us and we won't be able to utilize the gift that God has placed in us because he may want us to go in this direction but because we're holding on to something it's dragging us away from God so when we surrender our will to God and trust him and trust in his word and trust That he is the creator of all, the omniscient God who knows everything and surrender ourselves to him. Then our mindset will change. Our focus will change. When, when, When we surrender to God, our desires will now change. When we surrender, the Holy Spirit can now work in us and teach us and show us and remind us of the things, of the words that God has spoken in our life, that God has spoken in our words. And he can change our hearts to be a heart of flesh and and receive the word that God has been trying to plant in our hearts so it will grow and become a tree and feed other people. Because when the seed is planted in our heart, it is not for us us I say this a lot no tree eats of its own fruit the seed that God planted in our hearts is for others 
So now our mindset is going to change. Our focus is going to change. Our desire is going to change. And we will no longer be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. Having one mind, one focus in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 2 and 5, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, the same mind, the one mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So when we surrender to God, because our mindset has changed. We start seeing things through different lenses. We start, we're no longer seeing things through, through, the, through the hurts of our past. We're no longer seeing things through the anger that resides in us, but we're seeing things now through the love of God. We're seeing things now from the body of Christ. And because we're in Christ, we will understand that the same language that was separating people is now in the hands of God is a gift. That same culture which has separated people in the hands of God is now a gift. The same ethnicity that has separated people in the hands of God is now a gift because your language can open doors and have you speak to people that no one else can speak to. Your culture will have you go and reach individuals and, and know the do's and don'ts because their culture will say certain things and you're able to, to walk in and you're able to speak to them and you're able to break down the walls. You know their history. You know where they're coming from. And so your culture is able to navigate you and, and, and allow you to speak the word of God, speak the gospel to them. Your, your, your ethnicity will allow you to relate to a certain group and understand the plight that they have gone through. Don't look at the things that separate you. The world wants you to see this stuff and be separated, but in the body of Christ, it is used to spread the gospel. In the body of Christ, even your disability is used to speak to people. You may not even be able to say a word, but the way you live your life will speak into the life of other people, will speak love into other people's life, will speak, will speak strength because they can see things that you're going through and wonder how did they get the strength 
They may see things that you're going through and wonder, how can I feel this love? And so don't let the things that the world is, is, is saying will separate you. But don't, don't, don't look at those things, but understand that in the body of Christ, God will use those same things as a gift to spread his word because it is not about us. Everything that we have is to honor God and give him glory, to go out and make disciples, to go out and teach and preach his word, to bring people into the fold so God can touch them and God can nourish them and God can heal them and and God can deliver them. And then now God can use them and, and use their testimony to go out and reach other people, to speak into the lives of individuals who are hurting just like they were hurting and said, I have been there, but let me tell you about my Jesus, to speak to people. People who were lost and who were and who were blind and said, I understand where you're going through, but let me tell you about my Jesus. God has delivered me, and I know that when you give your life to him, he will deliver you. It is not about us. I say this a lot, I've said this before. When you look out, there is no possible way for you to see your natural face without a reflective surface because we were not meant to look at ourselves. But if I separate myself from a group, how am I to know how to speak to them? How am I to know how to reach them? If I separate myself from a group, how am I to know how to pray for them, how to care for them? And sometimes it's not even so much you have to do something for them, but sometimes God has a word for you. There was a time in my life that God used someone who I normally wouldn't associate with. It was a homeless man. I don't know about you, but I I don't go play video games with a homeless man. That's the way I thought. But I was going through such a tough time in my life that God used this homeless man to speak into my life. And if I'd have continued with that mindset, I would not have received his word that spoke spoke to me, that spoke to my spirit, that gave me a renewed mindset, that, that delivered me because I was on the verge of suicide. I was ready to tell God. This was prior to me telling God, I can't live for you anymore. That's another story on its own. But God used Use this individual who was digging in the garbage can when I had my own home, when I had food in my refrigerator, I had a car, I had a job, but yet I was feeling incomplete, yet I was dealing with all my hurts, yet I was struggling, and God used this man to speak into my life, and the only thing he said was, I'm good, because the good Lord gave me life. 
And God said, this man does not even have even close to what you have, but yet he's giving me glory, and yet he's praising me, and yet he's looking to me. Yes, he's digging in the garbage can, but he knows that I have given him life, and every time he wakes up, it is a blessing. Every time he wakes up, it is a gift, and I'm sitting there complaining because I didn't have pastrami, and my refrigerator only had turkey. God changed my mindset and allowed me to see what he has blessed me with. But if I would have continued and said, I can't associate with this man who's digging in the garbage can, I would have killed myself long time ago. So God's intention from the very beginning was never for us to be separated from other people, other cultures, other gifts within the body of Christ, but to work with one another to do the great commission to go out and reach people of all nations. There was... This young man, when I was at another church, was a youth pastor there, and this young man came into a youth service, and he didn't really want to be there. And um, worked with him and talked with him, and he started getting excited about God. He started to get excited about church to where he wanted to come more and come more. And he was starting to, to build trust in me. And one Sunday, I finally got him to come to church on a Sunday. And I didn't know this at the time, but when he got to church, one of the ushers stopped him and said, you can't come in here wearing that. Young man, teenager, just getting excited about God was turned away at the door because he was wearing sweats. And the person didn't know if he had other clothes because I remember every time he came, he wore the same sweat. So there was a possibility this was his best clothing. But when the person stopped him at the door and said, you cannot come in here wearing that, what he heard was, is you cannot be part of our group. You, by the way, you're dressed. You don't fit in with us. And so he ended up leaving. He never stepped back into another church. He never, as much as I called and tried to, through his cousin, tried to get in contact with him, he was done with the church. And the last thing I heard was he got, he got in the wrong crowd and was in jail. Just because the church said you don't belong here because of the way you dress. But they didn't know where he was. They didn't know his struggle or his journey to get to where he was. They just saw the outwardly appearance and said you're not one of us. And that is not 
what we ought to do in the body of Christ. That's a worldly mindset. God, God uses the church. He uses his people to be that city on a hill, to, to, to be that lamp in a dark house. He wants us to be seen. We are the plumb line. And if we're crooked, the world will never know it's crooked. If, if, we're, if, the, if the world looks into the church and see that we're quarreling with one another, that, that we have this group and this group over there and and we're fighting and we're angry and we're separating ourselves and there is no love and no unity within the body the world will look in and they will see this and said I get all this from outside of the church why do I need to go in to get the same thing but we are called to be one to be united as the church in the body of Christ So if we continue Acts 6, we will see that seven men were chosen. To, the apostles saw the situation between the Hebrews and the Grecians, and, and they were like, we, we can't stop doing what we're doing to deal with the situation. We're supposed to be here praying, and we're supposed to be here doing the ministry for God. We cannot deal with the things that was going on, the problems that's going on, and still doing what we're doing. So what you need to do is find seven men of good reputation, and full of the Holy Spirit. And these men are the ones that's going to be placed to deal with this. They're the ones who are going to be placed to take care of this business. And I understand this, that seven men were chosen, and all their names were Greek names. The same group that was being persecuted Seven men, and one of them is a proselyte, where they were chosen from that same group to deal with the situation. And then the Bible said that the numbers were added to the church. And Stephen was one of these men. And it said that Stephen worked wonders and miracles in the sight of the people. And then we go... To verse to chapter seven, because Stephen was preaching and he was reaching people and and what they called the freedmen in some translations, they didn't like what Stephen was saying and they took him to the council and they lied and said they presented false witnesses and then now we end to chapter seven to where Stephen gives his speech, he gives his sermon. And he goes all the way back to the beginning to where we are now pointing to Christ. And the people didn't like what he was hearing. But there was one person who was there. Because they decided to take Stephen and stone him. But there was one person who was there amongst the witnesses. This person was there and it said that the witnesses threw their coats at the feet of Saul. So this Stephen, who was from the group that was being persecuted, if the if the church, if the if the apostles said, you know what, 
because you're of Greek heritage, because you speak Greek language, we're not going to put you in this position, but we're going to take a Hebrew. If they would have done that, then Stephen wouldn't have been there. He wouldn't have been in the council. He wouldn't have been able to speak his sermon in front of Paul, in front of Saul, who later was converted to Paul on his Damascus Road experience. And then we know that Paul is the one who wrote the majority of the New Testament, and the same Paul who was up there, who was, who, was, um, who, was, who was consenting in the stoning of Stephen and was persecuting the church is now saying to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But it all started right there in Acts 6. When the church said we need to work together. And that's what we as a universal church need to do. We need to work together in Christ to reach the lost, to, to reach people that may seem unreachable, to touch them and to love them. Because when we love them, we show them God, for God is love. To let them know that there is a God who loves them and who's able to deliver them and able to use them and direct them. The world is looking for that. They're waiting for us. So let us all come together in Christ regardless of our language, regardless of our abilities or disabilities. And remember that in Christ, we, the people, is one. Let us pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your son who sacrificed his life and died a death that was meant for us to pull us back into your arms, to, to deliver us from sin and death, to break the chains and bondage that had us bound, to set us free so that we all can be called children of the Most High God. One body one mind, one focused, one Christ. Let us remember that we, the people, is one and go out and do what you've called us to do. We pray in the name and the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Take care. Pray you all have a great week. Love you all. God bless always.